This is not like the Enneagram or astrology where you just have one. You could have of them all to varying degrees, or you could have a few that really resonate for you. Welcome to the Big Kid Problems podcast, based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human behind the popular Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, Big Kid Problems. So I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about navigating the adult world. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have big kid problems. We're all just trying to figure it out. So thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another week and another episode of the Big Kid Problems podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill Hall. I'm the voice and personality behind the comical Big Kid Problems, Instagram, Twitter, blog, and obviously now this podcast. Welcome to the show. Guys, oh my God. Okay, so I geeked out so hard in today's episode. It is truly a fascinating one. We are going to learn all about source code today. And you may be thinking, Sarah, what the fuck is source code? Well, today you're going to find out. So Dr. Sam Radar is in the house today. And after practicing psychology for 18 years, she started realizing that everybody's problems could all pretty much be boiled down to like 12 key sources, hence creating what she dubbed source code. She has found that if we can better understand the source of our issues, like why we do the things we do, why we repeat patterns and cycles that most of us actually develop in early childhood, well, then we are so much more likely to overcome them. So I sit her down today and we get a little crash course into source code. We are going to go through all 12. And let me tell you, I was having freaking epiphanies throughout this episode. Like there was so many holy shit aha moments. And I think you guys are really, really going to like this one. So with that, let's just jump right into it. Get cozy and we will be right back. You guys know I'm pregnant now, but after this baby is born, when I'm able to, you know your girl is going to be ready to take down a few margaritas. That means I need to be prepared and that I'll have no time to have a rough morning after drinking. There's no laying in bed all day aloud after baby comes, and that's why I swear by morning recovery by more labs. The drink for when you drink. Just take one bottle while drinking and feel better the next day or your money back. It's the perfect solution for those who want to enjoy alcohol but still need to be on their A-game the next morning. So how does it work? Morning Recovery uses a patent-pending, plant-derived superhero formula that helps speed up the breakdown of alcohol-induced toxins. So you can wake up feeling 100% and like you did when you were 21. Morning Recovery also uses a proprietary blend of electrolytes and vitamins to rehydrate and restore lost nutrients. It's the smart way to drink every time you drink. So don't let rough mornings after drinking dampen the next day. Drink smarter with Morning Recovery at morelabs.com slash bigkid and use code bigkid for 20% off your order. That's morelabs.com slash bigkid and use that code bigkid for 20% off. 
All right, guys. Welcome back to the Big Kid Problem Podcast. I'm joined now by Dr. Sam Rader. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you, Sarah. I could not be happier to be here. Oh my gosh. We're talking about a really interesting topic this week. And you created this thing. I, I want to give a little, back, a little bit of background on you. If you could tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've been practicing psychology for a long, long time, and it helped you develop this, uh, this source code, which is we're going to learn about today. So give us a little bit of background on you and how you kind of developed this thing. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So I saw clients as a psychologist for 18 years And as I did, I started noticing these patterns. I kind of think of myself as like a code breaker uh, or pattern finder where everyone was saying the same things over and over again about their problems. And I started to track that there were really only 12 problems that we have as human beings. And I was like, wait a minute, there's just 12. And so I called those, I know, isn't that bonkers? Yeah. And I called these our coping styles. And basically when I tracked it back, they all get formed during childhood development in our first five years of life, when we're going through a certain developmental stage where we're trying to integrate a certain aspect of ourselves and we don't get what we need from our parents. And the reason for that is that parents don't know about the subtle developmental needs of a child. And sometimes they have their own coping styles or life circumstances that get in the way. So it's not that our parents are bad. They just don't know or they can't. And so then we end up developing these lifelong uh, coping styles, which is like a defense mechanism. And we're so trapped inside of this thing that we don't even realize we're inside of it because it just feels like us. Like this is just my personality or this is just life and the way life has always been. So I started noticing there's these 12 things and putting them into categories. And I started creating these antidotes or new embodiments or new ways that someone can think about themselves in the world and show up. And I started inviting people into the new story and their whole lives would radically shift, not just their psyche, but their lives, which, which points to this underlying theory of why I call it source code is that I believe in our first five years of life, our early experience writes a code in our unconscious which then determines the rest of the way that our stories unfold. Because I do believe that we live inside of kind of a matrix of our own making, kind of like the movie, The Matrix, except, you know, there's no AI on the other side controlling anything. It's just this sort of spiritual Eastern idea that this world is an illusion and we sort of project it from our unconscious mind. So whatever our coding is, is the algorithm that creates the structure and the form and the shape and the feeling of our matrix. So if we can go in and find the glitches in the code, which are the coping styles, and rewrite them, then we have an entirely new matrix that shows up completely differently. People show up differently. The world shows up differently. We show up differently. And everything feels different when we can rewrite the code. So that's what I do. I help people rewrite their code. That is so cool. So interesting. Oh my God. And it's it's nuts to me that you've been able to break these things down into just 12. Cause I'm like, I mean, my whole account is big kid problems. Like I make jokes about problems all day long and I can think of hundreds of them. So the fact that you can narrow it down. Yeah. What's nuts is if you throw these hundreds of problems at me, I can neatly tuck them into these 12. Oh, that's this category. Oh, that's this one. And it's so funny. Once you start to see these 12 things, you can't unsee them. And then every movie you watch, every situation you enter, you're like, oh, this is the deprived. Oh, there's the frustrated. Oh, they're omnipotent. And you just know exactly what's going on. It's a really beautiful way to orient. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is, this is already so fun. I love, I love shit like this. (laughs) So I figured just because our audience and any, me, myself, I've never heard of this until now. um, I would love if you could kind of just, well, really briefly, like super high level, just run through these 12 coping styles just to kind of give us like a general overview. And then maybe we'll, we'll dive into a couple like deeper, but I would love to just kind of, yeah. Yeah. Let's just, let's just go through them. Beautiful. So I just want to clarify that we all have several of these coping styles. I had all 12, which is what allowed me to be the conduit for the work. So there's no shame in identifying with several of them. This is not like the Enneagram or astrology where you just have one. You could have of them all uh, to varying degrees, or you could have a few that really resonate for you. It does get tedious to go too deep into them. So I'm going to really give the high level vague description and, and, and hopefully that will be enough for people to start to connect. So I'm going to go through them, um, sequentially from when the injury happens during our early childhood. So we've got two newborn injuries. And the first I call the disconnected coping style. And this is when as a newborn, we don't feel attuned to by our parents. They're not picking up what we're putting down. We don't feel understood. And so in order to cope, we have to disconnect because even though we're born hardwired to connect, we're primates, we love you know intimacy and attachment, the connection doesn't feel right. So we disconnect and we end up feeling like an outsider in life, like we don't belong or we belong on another planet. This world can't really meet us or understand us. And that's because in our first few months of life, we weren't understood. So with the disconnected style, there's four subtypes. One is to become flighty which is always running from one place to the next, hoping the next place will be the safe place. Another is to become floaty, which means we're sort of dissociative and foggy and float away in a happy cloud. And people are always like, earth to you, where are you? You know, another is to become stiff where we kind of brace and turn away from this world and get lost in fantasy or video games or computer programming or novels. And another is to become masked where we look like we're connecting and we may even feel like we're connecting, but we're the ones who have to do all the attuning and no one can really feel us. Mm. So that's the disconnected wound. And the antidote is to become connected and to become connected. We connect with ourselves, our feelings, and we take the risk to share ourselves with others and invite them to understand us. Because when we're disconnected, when there's a rupture and we don't feel understood, we feel we have to just disappear and turn away from the connection because we can't hope for repair, but coming out of disconnected means we start to learn how to repair and communicate better and connect with ourselves, others in the world at large, and no longer feel like an alien. So that's the disconnected one. <laughs> You're right. We could dive into these like an episode each. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. It's a lot to go over. Yeah. Do you, do you want me to do all 12? Let's just go, we'll go through them quickly just because I want, I want to make sure like anybody listening can maybe find what the couple that resonate for them. Okay. I'll try to go through a little quicker. Okay. So frictive is the other newborn wound. I created that word because when we're frictive, we don't get the right kind of holding. It's not a secure enough holding both physically and emotionally. So we feel forever at risk at falling through space with nothing to catch us or coming apart or not existing. So we're always afraid of disappearing. And in order to keep ourselves tethered to this world, we create a friction with everything we do, which means we need a lot of drama, intensity, heightened emotions, deep thoughts, lots of action, never any stopping because we're phobic of silence and stillness because we feel like we're disappearing. 
So we can either be externalized where people really know how living out loud we are or internalized frictive where no one knows how anxious we are, but we know inside and we're always sort of twitching and never stop moving. And the antidote to frictive is to become spacious. Even though we fear empty space, when we finally feel grounded and know that we exist as a fact, we matter and we have matter, we can start to lean into the beautiful space between our thoughts, between our actions, and feel held by emptiness. Okay, on to the infant wounds. So the next wound is, I call it omnipotent. And this is if our parents, as we were infants, they didn't help us work through difficult feelings. So what a parent needs to do when you're an infant is to mentalize our experience. In other words, tell us, oh, you must be feeling upset because the rattle, you don't know how to shake the rattle. It's not working for you. And that gives us a sense of self. There's a me, I'm a feeling, I have a feeling that's upset. Otherwise, if no one helps us understand our internal world, we just think the rattle's the problem and we want to fix it or kill it or get rid of it. So as omnipotence, we never learned that anything is not us. So we need to be omni, all, potent, powerful, to control everything around us to make ourselves feel safe. We don't feel safe. Oh, do you resonate? I'm getting a big smile. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, we're coming back to that one. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of my core wounds. So I'm getting the chills. Yeah, we'll definitely go into that. So when we're omnipotent, um, we're highly reactive. We're highly sensitive people. Um, We're empaths. We feel everything very intensely, but instead of knowing how to self-soothe or self-regulate, we control everything and everyone else to try to make ourselves feel better. And the antidote to that is to become aligned. And to align is to accept and embrace everything just as it is and turn toward everything, even the uncomfortable stuff with an open heart. And when you start to do that enough times, you grow up a psychic skin and a callus so that you're not so highly sensitive anymore. And I've had a tremendous personal experience with with that because I've had to heal them all personally in order to allow others to heal. Uh, So I can't wait for us to dig back into that. The next infant wound I call deprived. And that's if we were able to get enough literal calories to survive. But for some reason, when we were being breastfed or bottle fed, that loving care those kind of nourishing calories, the emotional calories, the connection wasn't there for some reason. Either our parent was distracted or rejecting in some way, or maybe they had very negative feelings inside of them like anxiety or depression or self-loathing. And all of that would put into us what we call the bad milk, meaning when we were fed, it didn't feel good. We didn't feel good. And so we end up feeling as if there must be something bad inside of me that's rejectable and ugly. And so we feel like other people can get the good stuff, but not me. Mm. And so in order to get anything, we're going to have to steal and manipulate. And we do this either by playing wounded, becoming indispensable and needed in a special way, being elusive and playing hard to get, being charming and singing for our supper, stockpiling and holding on to friends and jobs and provisions so that we'll never run out or scavenging where we literally take when no one's looking. So the, yeah. So the antidote to deprived is loved. And we learned that it was never us that we didn't feel loved. It was never something about us. It was in our environment. So we start to learn how to open our openings and allow the love to come in and learn how to digest it. Cause we don't know how to digest the good stuff when we're deprived. We only know how to feed on the bad feelings of self-pity and hurt and disappointment and shame and bitterness. And so we start to learn how to feed on the good through the digestive enzymes of gratitude and appreciation and savoring and love. Okay, four down, yes. eight to go. <laughs> yeah. 
Are we still good? We're great. I'm like, I'm like going through each one of these. I'm like, oh my God, I relate to all of them so far. So this is, this is crazy. That's the thing. They're pretty dang universal. And what's cool about them is even though it's a lifelong pattern, we can shift them. Yeah. We really can. And, you know, I've had the pleasure of turning away from my private practice as I've sort of left the field of psychology and more public facing and teaching hundreds of people now in my courses and their lives just change overnight, like in these miraculous bananas ways. And I'm like, this work works. It's very quantum work. Mm. It's not really psychology. It's much more embodied and spiritual. And it's like our entire hologram or matrix completely shifts as we start to loosen the knots of the glitchy coding. I have to tell you guys about an amazing new service I found called FrameBridge. FrameBridge makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame your favorite things without ever leaving the house. Add a gallery wall to your home office or send the perfect gift. From art prints and diplomas to the photos sitting on your phone, you can FrameBridge just about anything. Here's how it works. You just go to framebridge.com and upload your photo or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. Preview your item online in dozens of frame styles and gallery wall layouts. Choose your favorite or get free recommendations from their talented designers. The experts at Framebridge will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. And instead of the hundreds you'd pay at a framing store, their prices start at $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, my listeners will get 15% off their first order at framebridge.com when they use my code BIGKID. Order online at framebridge.com or stop by a Framebridge store to work with a designer in person if you're in New York, DC, Atlanta, Philly, Boston, or Chicago. I know we just moved into our new house and I've been using Framebridge to help me fill up some wall space. I framed some wedding photos and we'll definitely be using them to frame some baby pictures when my little guy gets here. God, that's getting freaking close, guys. So get started today, frame your photos or send someone the perfect gift. Go to framebridge.com and use promo code BIGKID to save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to framebridge.com, promo code BIGKID. That's framebridge.com, promo code BIGKID. Shall we go into toddlerhood? Yes, please. This is also, I, I have to tell you, I am getting ready to become a parent. Ooh. Yeah, I'm I'm seven months pregnant. So I'm like at oh the tail God. end. Yeah. Congratulations. The, That's huge. You. Yeah, I'm at the I'm at the tail end of this thing and I'm like learning about like newborn care. And I'm like, oh my God, from the parent side of this, like holy crap, it's it's a little scary like to know that certain things you do can like really have a lasting effect on your baby. Yeah. And we have to give ourselves grace because we're only human. And also like whatever wounds we give our kids kind of set up the video game levels for them to pass in their hero's journey. So it's okay to mess them up. Um, (laughs) We're going to regardless. Yeah. Um, But yeah, but I do love that my book that should be coming out soon is not only for us to reparent ourselves and free ourselves from these lifelong prisons that we're living in, but also to know how to parent our children. I very explicitly go through each developmental stage and explain exactly what a child needs. It's actually very simple what they need. It's not intuitive necessary, necessarily, but it is simple. And so once you learn about these stages, 
the parenting becomes really, really sacred and magic. Can you speed up that book launch? <laughs> I'm going to need no, it by it's, April. It's, it's <laughs> ironic. It, it might be being sped up. I'm in a very interesting process right now of it's either going to come out next January or much sooner. Very unclear, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. I'm going to need that to be in the next like two and a half months. So chop, chop. <laughs> well, I can certainly send you the chapters directly. I'm happy to do that. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. Okay. Let's go back. Let's get back into the toddlerhood um, coping styles. Okay, great. So toddlerhood is this really beautiful, interesting period of an in-between, between infancy and being a big kid. It's like, um, it's, it's a process of swinging back and forth between developing these new abilities to be independent. Oh my God, I can walk. I can talk. I can get up on a chair on my own. I can feed myself. I'm kind of a big kid, but also I still need holding and feeding. And I'm, I'm, I'm still a baby. I don't even have all my teeth yet. I'm also a baby. So it's this both. And as a toddler, we need to be able to very fluidly move between being feeling big and feeling small and feel completely supported by our parents in both of those things. Mm. And so there's two ways this can go wrong during, during toddlerhood. One is if we're not allowed to be big and separate, if when we start to toddle away from the safe base of our caregivers, they act frightened or punishing. If we have our own minds or want to do things our own way, maybe they don't like it. They want us to go with their program. They want us to stay fused with them. And in that case, we develop what I call the symbiotic coping style. And symbiosis, it's a, t- it's a type of, of, of parasitism. And so we always feel like we have to latch on to a powerful other who mm. is our host, who we're going to have to feed off of. We feed off of their knowing. We feed off of their provisions, their protection, their power. And we just have to go along with everyone else's program and never say no. And we can't use our voice. We can't disagree. We can't be in confrontation. And um, it's it's very, very painful. So emerging from the symbiotic coping style, the antidote is to become solid. And we start to learn to trust that we have our own source to source inside. And that it's actually okay for us to be angry and express our differences and be separate and be solid because we're not dependent on someone else for our sustenance and survival. So we can be more real with others and develop real intimacy instead of just being that chameleon who tells them what they want to hear. Mm. I actually just yesterday launched my very first ever digital self-led course on my website. And it's this one, it's symbiotic to solid and it's 18 weeks of content and it's so juicy and good. And I'm so proud of it. Um, but yeah, this is a really remarkable one. I've actually been coming out of symbiotic a lot myself recently. And it's like, it's powerful. It's really intense to realize you can speak your truth and be who you really are and don't have to be a people pleaser all the time. Mm. Okay. It's intense. I, I don't know if you can see me over here, but I'm like taking notes on the side. Cause I want to come back to a couple of these <laughs> and like this one, I think we definitely need to dive into a little bit more too. Okay. Beautiful. And then the other uh, toddler wound I call the premature coping style. And that's if the opposite thing happened. And by the way, you can have both of these because you can have parents who, who miss you on both sides. You're not allowed to be separate and you're also not allowed to need me in a special way. So if we're premature, we had to wean from the literal or proverbial breast too soon. It's like those kittens when they're weaned too soon and they're always looking for the breast. They're always trying to suck on everything. That's us if we're premature is we... As soon as we could walk and talk, our parents mistook that for 
emotional maturity and they started treating us like a big kid and they needed us to pitch in, maybe help out with a younger sibling or maybe them if they had some disorder or illness or addiction. And we started to learn how to be the caretaker when we were still a baby. And so our need to be fed literally and emotionally became very confusing for us. We thought we shouldn't need and we shouldn't feed. And the way this often manifests is in eating disorders. We really try not to eat. And maybe if we're anorexic, we can pull that off. And maybe if we're binge eaters or or bulimic, we try not to eat, we try not to eat. And then we have to binge because we're so hungry. And it's this very confusing relationship with hunger. And we don't want to be too much and we don't want to burden anyone. And we feel like our only value is in how we give to others. And the only time we can feel care is vicariously when we're caring for others. So the antidote to being premature is to become nourished. So we start to know that it's okay to need and feed. We start to learn about what fullness feels like because we've always felt like a bottomless pit that could never get to full. So we learn that our hunger isn't too much. We learn how to feed ourselves both literal calories and our need from friends and family until we're full. And once we know about fullness, the eating disorders subside because oftentimes when we have those, we just, we think we shouldn't eat. And so then we never let ourselves have three good full meals a day. And so then we're always grazing and binging and snacking, right? It's this confusing relationship with food. So um, yeah, to become nourished. Today's episode is focused on our minds, but we should also always be taking care of our bodies. That's why I'm so excited to have Athletic Greens as a sponsor of this show. I've been a huge fan for years. I mean, I first tried Athletic Green a long time ago because I wanted better gut health and more energy. And especially now, like I love taking it every day to help optimize my immune system and just give my body nutrients it needs every day. With one tasty scoop of Athletic Greens into water, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things... I've had so many food aversions during pregnancy, like I won't even look at a vegetable. So I love taking this every day to give my body the good stuff it needs. It costs you less than $3 a day. I mean, you're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And it also supports your mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash BKP. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash BKP to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So the next, at the near the end of toddlerhood, we're developing our identity. So there's one wound that can happen around our identity. I call this the idealizing wound. And if we have a healthy identity or sense of self, Our parents give us reflections about our outsides, like how we look and how we measure up, but also about our insides, like our needs, our feelings, our thoughts, our essence, our beingness. And if we don't get any reflections about our insides and we only hear about whether we're 
pretty or not, or smart or not, then we think that we're just a collection of attributes, like a self-concept. And that if we're not the best, we're the worst and we have to rank ourselves. So we're always comparing and criticizing, well, who's the prettiest? Who's a 10 out of 10? Where do I rank? Am I the best? Am I the worst? And there's this obsession with status and looks and um, intelligence level and money and like all the outside things that really can't reach us, that really don't reach our humanity whatsoever. And so obviously like the Instagram phenomenon is fueled a lot by the idealizing coping style. We either idealize ourselves as this two-dimensional objectified thing, or we devalue ourselves as this two-dimensional objectified thing. And to come out of idealizing is to become animate. And when I say animate, I mean, not inanimate, not an object, but this, you know, in, in Latin animus means breath of life or soul. It's our aliveness, our, our beingness, our fully fleshed out three-dimensional sense of self that we exist, that we're not just an object who measures up. We are a living, breathing, sentient being. And so, um, becoming animate is pretty, is a pretty beautiful process. And that's actually the next, uh, course that I'll be launching soon. Just finishing creating that one now. <laughs> I feel like a lot of yeah. people could you could benefit from that one. Yeah, I think at this day and age, it's it's almost ubiquitous in our culture to be mm-hmm. idealizing. Mm-hmm. It's like such a a profound obsession in our in our culture. Yes, specifically like this period of time. I think with Instagram, with social media, like our generation, the generation before us didn't grow up with this stuff. We did. It's very unique. Um, Getting worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah. But then I think that's why like the TikTok folks came out with like, you know, I'm going to be as messy and dirty and real as I can be and like kind of like a counterculture to that idealizing. Yeah. So interesting. Okay. So moving on, we get to uh, the will. So we start developing our will when we're around 10 months old. And it really flourishes when our in our second year. That's the terrible twos. When we're always trying to push to see how far we can get. And then by the time we're about four, we've kind of integrated like how much we can control and how much we can't control. But there's two different will injuries, two ways that we can have a wonky relationship with our will. The first I call the frustrated coping style. And that's when our will was always thwarted. There was no way to win. We were never going to get what we want. We were only going to get what we don't want. And so we figured out how to play the game to win by losing. So thwarting ourselves, self-sabotage, passive aggression, kicking under the table, um, saying yes when we mean no, uh, acting out our anger passively and covertly because we're so very angry if we're frustrated for good reason, but we don't know how to use our anger to get us to where we want to go. We think that it has to be this impotent anger that just recycles itself and keeps us stuck and keeps us in this feeling that life is hard, keeps us in this deep resistance to everything and everything on the inside and everything on the outside feels like a resistance. So to come out of the frustrated coping style, we become conducting. And the reason I chose that word is that on a circuit board, there are resistors that block the flow of electrons and then conductors that allow the flow of energy And also the double meaning of like a conductor of an orchestra is the one who decides the way things go in life that helps shape, you know? So when we come out of frustrated, we're empowered and going, wait, I have a say here in how things go. I don't have to use my will to thwart everything. I can use my will to want what I want and finally get what I want. Frustrated people often say, I can't, but it's actually not that you can't, it's that you won't. 
And when you learn the distinction between the two, that's the power of your will. So that's, that's how we come out of the frustrated wound. And then and another will injury. <clears throat> this was the most recent style to reveal itself to me. And my God, was it painful to reckon with. It's, I have it in spades. And again, in our culture, we, we do. This is called the indulged wound. And this is when our will was overindulged. And again, paradoxically, you can have both will injuries because we could be blocked in one way, but indulged in another. But um, this is when we never learn the ways we impact others. We're kind of spoiled in a way. Or we're just allowed to do what we want, either because we're neglected or or overindulged. And then we just expect the world to revolve around us. And there's a lot of impatience and entitlement. And um, we need instant gratification. I mean, you can see in our American culture, it's really what we're up to these days. And we, we aren't able to acknowledge that we um, impact others and that others are not here just to serve us, but they're having their own very rich internal experience. So when we emerge from the indulged wound, we we step into interbeing, which is a term created by Thich Nhat Hanh. And what it means is that everything affects everything else, that the microphone you're holding in your hand was forged by metals that were harvested by metal workers from the ground and then made, you know, like, and then trucked to somewhere and sold by someone. And all these people were involved and in order you know, for the metal to get there, there was a, a big bang where all these elements, you know, went in there and that soil was, was covered with rain from the sky and there were worms in it and like that we're all interconnected. And when we can start to tap into our interbeing with all our fellow human and non-human beings, that allows us to complete the circle of life where we're not the center, but we're just part of the whole. And we impact and are impacted by everything and to start to be a little more cooperative, a little more aware of um, how we, I feel like I'm going to cry, but um, yeah, how we, how we impact things and how we could change our practices on earth to work with nature and work with one another instead of this myth of separation that keeps us feeling like we have to stay competing and um, grabby. You know, there's plenty here to go around if we learn how to cooperate. So that's coming out of that wound would be huge on planet Earth if we could get that one straightened out. <laughs> we better get that one straightened out or we're yeah, going to need to. We're going to need to. We're going to need to soon. Yeah. And then there's just three more. Oh, we're, those, we're, we're it, flying through these. Look at this. Okay, good. I'm glad you feel that way. These three are what I call Oedipal wounds, meaning they are surrounding our sexual, romantic, competitive selves. So when we're five years old, four, five, six years old, we start to have a big influx of sex hormones, believe it or not. And that's why at that time, we often start masturbating. We start playing doctor. We have little boyfriends and girlfriends at school. And we find one of our parents who we want to marry and the other one who we want to get rid of. And that's why it's called the Oedipal phase of development is because of the myth of Oedipus Rex, a prince who kills his father, the king, and marries his mother, the queen. So every child wants to kill one parent and marry the other. It's not literal. It's metaphoric and symbolic. 
but it's a natural urge during this time when we're starting to feel these very arousing, erotic feelings in our bodies for the first time. We feel a lot of amorousness and a lot of desire and a lot of wanting to roll around and be, be close and feel yummy feelings. Now, of course, we don't want to have penetrative sex. That's too overwhelming for a five-year-old. It's not it. But the symbolic nature of being chosen, being special, having a special connection, feeling warm and close, feeling tingly, that's what a five-year-old wants. So how the parents respond to that phase of development, which can be very confusing for parents, determines how we hold our erotic selves for the rest of our lives. So there's three ways where this can go wrong. Yes. (laughs) The first I call the squashed coping style. And this is as we're entering this kind of blossoming of sexual, creative, um, libidinal, exciting energy, someone in our family wants to squash us because they feel jealous because something about our shine is threatening to them because they believe they can't shine in the way we shine. And so either a parent or a sibling or somebody squashes us. So the more love and adoration we get over here, the more hate and destructive envy we get from over there. So we learn how to squash ourselves and keep ourselves small. So the myths that, that go along with the the squash coping style are like, um, Snow White, who had to hide and squash herself and live in the house of the seven dwarves because the evil queen wanted to kill her. Or Cinderella, who wasn't allowed to go to the ball because her sisters and her stepmother were so jealous. Or Harry Potter, who had to be squashed into a cupboard under the stairs because his muggle family um, was so jealous of his magic. But of course, when you're squashed, you don't feel magic. You feel subhuman. You think there's something wrong with you. And when someone says, well, it's because you're enviable, you go, no, not me. I'm not enviable because we've been gaslit enough to believe that we're not, but we are, we have the extra special sauce. We are like a Disney prince or princess. There's some kind of magic there. There's some kind of sparkle that can light up the room. And that, that beautiful magic is something we all share. There's for some reason, life didn't beat it out of us. We're kind to children and animals and we're joyful and we sparkle and we just light up the room and that's very threatening to people. So we try to keep ourselves small by either, you know, always spitting out compliments. No, you're the pretty one. Um, always being apologetic or childlike or invisible or even grumpy of, no, that's not me. Like grumpy dwarf. Each of the dwarves is one of the ways we can squash ourselves. So I'm loving um, these, Disney, of, all these Disney references. I'm really enjoying right so now. much. <laughs> Uh, so much archetypal material in those Disney myths, incredible stuff. So um, the way to come out of squashed is to become erect. So um, the feminine aspect of erectness is radiance, to be radiant, allow the heart and the crown to open and to be that Disney princess that, ah, that is ebullient and shimmering and resplendent and knows how beautiful you are. And hilariously, when you finally do that, everyone else stops trying to squash you because they're just inspired. And they're like, oh yeah, that is, that is it. Um, And the masculine aspect, and by the way, I'm not, uh, you know, binary around gender. I'm just saying, if you're working with the feminine aspect of it, you come up here. And if you're working with the masculine aspect of it, which we can all embody is potency, which is more genital. So coming into squash is really allowing ourselves to become genital, sitting into our seat, and knowing that we have genitals and that we are adult sexual beings and we do have a certain kind of power and learning how to use that power for good. Because if we were squashed, we never got to go through the Oedipal phase. We weren't allowed to throw our hat in the ring and become a contender. We were squashed. So to emerge is to become erect and know that we do have that power and to use it for good. 
Okay, two more. The other way things can go terribly wrong during the Oedipal phase is if our parents collude with the love triangle and they say, one of them says, yes, I do wish I could marry you and we could get rid of the other one. (laughs) And then the other one feels jealous. Now that happens more than we would like to think. A lot of parents act out that drama with their kids. And what happens with that is that the child learns that my sexual parts are the most exciting and most disturbing and most important part of me. So they grow up to be overly flirtatious, overly seductive, have very fuzzy boundaries around sex and love, get in a lot of love triangles as an adult. And generally um, you play whatever part as an adult you played as a kid. So were you the object of the desire? Were you the winning rival? Were you the losing rival? Whichever part was very charged for you as a kid, you play out as an adult. And it's very, very painful coping style. Um, these people are are slutty or, uh, you know, just sexually charged sex and love addicts. They they can't get enough of that feeling because that's the only way that they got to feel loved was for through their sexuality. It's very painful. So the antidote to the provocative style is to become clear, which means that we hold our erotic selves as so precious and worthy of protecting. And we only share it in the context of a safe, committed, healthy relationship. And we learn where the clear boundaries are between our erotic selves and everything else in our lives. And then finally, the last coping style, but not the least, I call it constricted. And this is when during our time of that influx of sex hormones, when we're feeling really animal and we're running and jumping and playing and wanting to play tag for the first time, and we're competitive and we feel things in a big way and we want to express ourselves, we are told, hold that in. That's wrong. So either our parent is um, hyper-controlling of our libidinal animal selves because of maybe some religious ideas or some other controlling ideas like sex is bad. You shouldn't be too loud. You shouldn't express yourself so much. You need to hold that all in. We constrict and hold it in. Or if our parent paradoxically is highly sexual and they're spilling out everywhere and they're making a mess in their lives and they can't seem to contain themselves, we go, Ooh, that energy isn't safe. I need to contain them and myself and everything else. And we constrict. So either our parents over controlling around libido or not controlling enough around libido. In either case, we internalize that as a constriction. And when we constrict, we're trying to hold in anything that could be messy. We don't want to spill out. We don't want to show our feelings. We don't want to leak any fluids. We don't want to do anything that might be embarrassing. We don't want to be caught, exposed, humiliated, punished, in trouble. We don't want someone to point the finger at us and say, you're weird or you're bad. You're doing it wrong. We want to do everything right. It's very moralistic. So we become very intensely moralistic and kind of OCD. And we start to have these obsessions and compulsions as a way of keeping ourselves away from our animal genital selves. Because when we're up in our heads, we can't be genital. When we're busy doing something, we can't be genital. So to come out of constricted, and we're always, by the way, afraid of being judged and getting in trouble. And there's this judge, this judge figure that haunts us, that's going to get us in trouble. And so to come out of constricted is to become free. And when we're free, we trust ourselves. We trust our innocence. Instead of believing that our animal part is bad and we can only be good by controlling it, we trust our animal instincts. And we allow ourselves to be that great unfoldment of the big bang that's still happening 
through us. We trust the cosmos moving through us. We don't try to block it or thwart it. And we let ourselves be more free. We color outside the lines. We innovate. We trust ourselves. We don't look outside for the authority or knowing. We can trust our authority and knowing inside. And there we are. Oh my gosh. Hit him. We hit all 12. That is impressive. That is impressive. Thank you. This is so interesting. And I'm already like, even when you're talking about these, I can see how like, you know, if your parent is one way, how it could probably, you know, swing the other way. Like when you're talking about like maybe having, if your parent is like provocative, maybe you're a little bit more constrictive. And, you know, this whole... Or you could go provocative if they acted that out with you. So it really all kind of depends. Or both. You can actually have both, weirdly. It is so interesting. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is so fun. fun? So fun. (laughs) So I would love to, because I know we went through these really quickly. And I'm sitting here, like, scribbling notes, like, geeking out. And I'd love to, like, maybe go through a couple of these in a little bit more detail. Because as you're, you know, as we're going through the anecdotes of all of these... It makes sense. And then, but it's also like, oh, so much easier said than done. You know, like I think actually implementing some of these anecdotes would be tough, especially if you, this is a cycle you've been like perpetrating your whole life. It's certainly a process, which is why it took me 10 years to write this book is not that the writing itself took a long time, but that the living of each one and resolving it in myself took a long time. And so the process does take time. Nobody tells you this, but one of the harder parts of adulting is figuring out what to make for dinner every night. When I don't plan, I am super guilty of just falling into the delivery trap, which is way more expensive and way less healthy and sustainable than if I had just cooked at home. This is where ButcherBox is a lifesaver. ButcherBox is a subscription service that takes the guesswork out of finding high quality meat, Think selections of 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, wild-caught seafood, and more. Their sourcing decisions are made holistically, keeping the farmer, the planet, the animal, and your family in mind. I mean, I love ButcherBox because it not only helps me cook more at home, but it also has helped open up my culinary horizons. I mean, I had pork chops in one of my boxes. I have never cooked a pork chop in my life, but I found an easy recipe, cooked those suckers up so fast and had like a delicious and different dinner than my usuals. You can customize your own box or go with one of theirs. Either way, you get exactly what you want. And each box contains between eight to 14 pounds of meat, depending on the box you choose, which is enough for 24 individual meals. This is your chance to never have to shop for ground beef again. That's right. ButcherBox is actually giving new members free ground beef for life. So sign up at butcherbox.com BKP and get two pounds of ground beef free in every order for the life of your membership. Log on to butcherbox.com BKP to claim this deal. What was like the hardest one for you to move through? Deprived. Deprived. Oh, I wrote that one down. I wrote that one down. <laughs> it's the stinking worst. Yeah. Okay. That frustrated are like the two darkest ones. Oof. I mean, they're all so hard to live with, but deprived and frustrated are yeah, real we, hard. Let's go into deprived a little bit because I, I was writing this down. And also, it, I thought this was so fascinating because it's like a newborn 
wound and it's infancy, but yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's like infancy, but I, I, I noticed that one for myself too. And, um, yeah, would love to chat a little bit more about that and then like how to actually move out of that. Beautiful. So why don't you tell us a little bit about if you feel comfortable, what, why you relate? Um, there was a couple things that you were describing there that I was like, yep, checking this off the box, checking these boxes, um, as you were saying it, one of them was like, there's almost like a scarcity mindset involved with it. You know, like you, if you were deprived of something, maybe you like internalize that you didn't, I don't know, I don't know how you, you could probably do a better job at explaining this, but I wrote down scarcity because that's something that I've been dealing with like my whole life. I actually like, I remember a specific instance um, where I kind of like felt deprived in childhood. Like I was like screaming, crying. And my mom did the whole, like, we're going to let you cry it out approach and just like left me outside. And I screamed and screamed and screamed. I remember this vividly. And after, after like 10 minutes of screaming, I stopped and I just in my head was like, Oh, I'm so mad. I'm so mad. But like, now I'm just not going to like say anything. And like, I'm not going to, you know, I'll just, I'll keep it in. I'll keep it in. So that's interesting because what happened there was you're deprived wound started to tip over into frustrated, the subtype I call withholding. So when we won't be heard, and this is one of the ways that we can be frustrated, our will, your will was that you wanted to be heard, right? Mm -hmm. You weren't going to be heard. And so one of the four ways we can deal with that, one of the four subtypes of frustrated is to clamp our jaw shut and become withholding and say, all right, you're not going to hear me, that I'm not going to (laughs) talk. Yeah. (laughs) Because the only way to be heard here is to be silent. So when we're withholding, we clamp the jaw shut and we say, okay, you're not going to hear me. Then I'm not going to talk. And nothing you can do can make me talk. You can't pull anything out of me and you can't put anything into me. I won't let anything in. You can't impact me. I'll never show you how you impact me. Hmm. So that's how you're deprived actually turned into withholding. The withholding subtype of, of frustrated. That's so, so interesting. And was the frustrated one, the one you were talking about is like how you kind of self-sabotage yourself? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. resonating. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you're recognizing these qualities in yourself, how, I know, let's start with deprived because I know you said the anecdote was love. Like how do you actually embody that? Yeah. The antidote to being deprived is to be loved. And the way you, well, first let's talk about when you're deprived, it feels so real that there's something wrong with me that won't allow love in. Like that I just, I can't be loved. If someone tries to give me love, I don't believe them or yeah, sure for now, but not for long. Like there's this thing where inside just feels bad. And so good stuff doesn't resonate with something inside. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's a tough one to come out of because it feels so real. And what's so funny is when we're in that deprived, icky place, we do repel love. We are icky, and so it just reinforces that idea. Uh, is this true also with like I'm I'm even thinking in terms of like work 
wise. Like I, I, and just, I, I've always seen, like, I see other people doing similar things that I'm doing and I'm like, yeah, they'll, they'll get that. Or like, they'll hit the top, you know, 10 on iTunes charts. But like, that would never happen for me. Like, I'm always like, this is, I, I always like, am a little, I have some like limiting, like very, very limiting beliefs around like what I can even do and accomplish and all of that. And I'm, I'm sensing that that might be from that deprived. hundred percent. Yeah. Mm. When we're deprived, it's not just relational. It's with everything. It's with money. We're usually at around a zero balance in our bank account. Um, it's like, no matter how much we make, we always find a way to lose it or spend it. Um, and it's also with, like you said, opportunities it's, and really, if we really want to just get into the quantum technology, what is this deprived coding create is a, a hyper vigilant focus on what we don't want and what we're not getting. Mm. So I'm not at the top 10 on, in, on Instagram. Did you say Instagram? I, or no, sorry, iTunes, on, but iTunes. Yeah. The whole, all I'm not of on it. the top 10. And so there's something wrong. So it's a very subtle pivot to what do you have? It's about having what you already have so that the universe starts to feel you in the frequency of gratitude and abundance. And then more does start to flow in. But when you're in the, I'm not on the top 10 and you're not relating with, I have 500,000 followers, (laughs) right? Does nothing ever gets to be enough when we're deprived? Dude. So- yeah. So we can we pause and do a little something around it together? Sure. So the key to coming out of deprived is to open the openings and learn how to digest the good. So can we take this 500,000 followers thing and work with it in a new way? Yes, please. Okay. So there's something when we're deprived where we learn how to turn anything into nothing. So all of a sudden, 500,000 followers doesn't matter because we're not on the top 10 of iTunes. So what if we could let this something actually be something? Mm-hmm. What if something about that 500,000 could actually get inside and nourish? Right now, it just feels empty. Mm-hmm. It's not enough. So can you start to feel what it might be like to have what you already have instead of wanting what you don't have. Mm-hmm. Can we go to having what you do have? You already have it. It's hard. I know. I know. So let's do this embodiment practice where we're going to take that 500,000. Now, could you agree if I had 500,000, I have 13.5,000. Could you agree if I had 500,000, it might be something juicy for me to have that 500,000? Mm-hmm. If Dr. Sam had five, it might be juicy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, you know, you know, 500,000 might be juicy somewhere. It doesn't feel juicy inside yet. Right. But it's, you know, it could be. So can you take your mouth and taste the juiciness of what 500K might taste like? Really get it on your tongue. Mm-hmm. What does it taste like? I'm going to say like so sweet. Like a like a peach, but I also Ooh. I've also been craving peaches because <laughs> I'm super frigo and Yum. love fruit. Okay, <laughs> right so five hundred K tastes sweet like a peach. Let's let's taste it. Let yourself really savor it for a minute. And really enjoy 
what that taste of 500K in your mouth might be. I mean, really let it be in your mouth. I know that's odd. And then see what happens if you can take that peachy yumminess and actually swallow it. Because oftentimes we'll just spit it out. Hmm. What happens if it goes inside? So use your throat muscles and swallow and allow some of that peachiness to get down the esophagus and see if you can track it. Does it get to go down the throat at all? A little bit. It's, it's okay. A little, a yeah. little, a little good. Mm-hmm. Just notice that little tiny bit of sweetness that's traveling down the throat. Just a trickle. Yeah. There was a deeper breath and see what happens as it travels all the way down to your stomach. Do you know where your stomach is? Not a lot of people do. Right now. I don't, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> the baby made it push it around, but technically yeah. it's under your rib cage on the left side, just hmm. under your rib cage. So maybe put your hand there on your stomach and see if any trickle of the peachy sweetness of having 500,000 beautiful humans who want to know what you have to say can get inside all the way down into the tummy. See what happens. Can it get all the way down into the stomach? Can you think of any DMs you've gotten recently of followers who are really grateful for you? And Yes. See if that can get down into your tummy. I definitely, it's, it is, it is really interesting. Like I can like feel like parts of my actual body, like clenching around it, like keeping it from getting down there. It's, it's. That's, that's such beautiful tracking. And I think we've got two things going on that we've talked about already. We've got the deprived, but then we've also got that withholding. Mm-hmm. Like there's I a won't. whole, there's a whole bag of issues in here. <laughs> yeah. But the withholding is like, I won't let anything good in because that mm-hmm. gives you control. And the way I have power is to not let anything in and to let the good things in would be giving you power. So um, that's okay. And it's okay to track all of this. And I would just stay with these processes. But once it does get into the stomach, the way to digest it and metabolize it so that that goodness becomes a part of you forever so that you feel good from the inside and you feel abundant is to use the digestive enzymes of gratitude and appreciation and let it feel so fulfilling in your stomach. Just so full in there, so full of the love from these 500,000 human beings. And when you can really digest that and feel that from the inside, not just a concept, but a felt sense of abundance and fullness, your life changes right then. Because either one of two things happens. You're finally either reckoning with that it's that what you have is actually enough and you're going to feel real different for the rest of your days. And or that fullness is just going to keep attracting more. Mm. And so you'll have a million and you'll have 1.5 million and you'll have, you know, so... Just keep practicing having what you have, savoring it, letting it go all the way down inside, not just a concept, mm-hmm. but letting it be physical. Because the, the physiological digestive tract is just an expression of the metaphorical digestive tract. The body is just an expression of the mind. So it is physiological to digest good things like 500,000 followers. We need to get it in the body. Yeah. So that would be, that would be your spiritual practice for the next little while 
That is so interesting because that that when it comes to like gratitude, I've been doing a gratitude practice for years that I do think really really helps me. Um, but I think you're right; it kind of gets stuck like just in the mind. And I can say like I'm grateful for this, but like I don't know that I actually fully digest it. Yeah, because if you don't feel grateful and it's just an idea, mm-hmm. you're not going to be switching your hologram or your matrix or the coding. Because the coding gets switched through the embodiment and the feeling, not just an idea. Would you say that's true for a lot of the other um, things we talked about today? When you're trying yeah. to find the when you're trying to find the antidote to some of these coping styles, that that is All the case. Them. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. We can't think our way out of the matrix. We have to feel our way. We have to embody a new way. Oh my gosh. Dr. Sam Rader. I'm so sad that we are like, I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, no, I want to keep talking. Like we could go through each of these. I could keep you on here for 16 hours. Like we could, we could dive through this. I would be delighted to come back if you want me to. I really enjoy talking to you. I really do. So fun. This is really, really interesting. And I know that if our audience wants to like learn more from you, wants to dive into this a little bit deeper, like yeah. where can they get more information? Where can they find you? So right now my website is Dr. Sam Rader, D-R-S-A-M-R-A-D-E-R.com. I'm about to switch it to sourcecode.center, I think. Um, but you can just Google Dr. Sam and source code. And on Instagram, I'm Dr. Sam Rader, D-R-S-A-M-R-A-D-E-R. But once they come in, they're going to find, I have this beautiful 12 week course, which is a live zoom course where we go through one week per style and we do a deep dive into embodiment exercises to heal each one and fully understand each one and where it comes from and then fully heal each one, which is just magic. Then I'm starting to release these self-led digital courses like the symbiotic to solid one I just released on yesterday. Um, so I'm going to make one for each coping style over the next year. And I'm developing a membership right now. And also I have a whole team of source code coaches who can work one-on-one with people. So I'm really excited for that. That is so awesome. I'm going to link to these courses that you have. And that 12-week course that you do that goes through every single one, is that does that start at any specific time during the year or can you start that whenever? So we were doing it quarterly and then... um, I think I, we need a break for a minute. We've done, so we've already done in the last like six months, we've done six. <laughs> wow. <a> lot. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm just trying to slow it down a little, but I think what we're going to do is from here on out, we're going to take applications. And then as soon as a class gets full, we'll launch it instead of trying to push these launch dates. That's so like forcing instead of allowing. Mm. So um, hopefully they'll just keep filling up and starting and filling up and starting. I have several teachers and we co-teach it. Um it's really powerful, beautiful stuff. That to me, the most magic is the 12 week. Yeah. That, that I mean, like that sounds like really interesting to me. Cause like, like we said, you can have a lot of these, you know, or maybe your partner has one that you don't have or whatever it is. So I, I think, I mean, I could, I could honestly deep dive into this all day. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank You're you welcome. so much for coming on, giving us a little bit of a crash course. Um, we really appreciate having you. Oh, love being here, Sarah. Thank you. Okay, that is a wrap on our episode this week. I hope you enjoyed it. 
if you did, remember to hit that subscribe button and leave a nice little five-star review for this podcast. Maybe send it to a friend who you think might enjoy the show. I mean, your reviews and you passing along this podcast is what keeps us running. So thank you. If you want more from me, you can follow me on Big Kid Problems on Instagram and on my personal account at Sarah Merrill underscore Hall. Oh, also, you can check out my brand new pregnancy podcast called Bottle Service. Many of you know I am actually pregnant right now. And this new show goes through pregnancy week by week with me and actually gives a ton of information. It's kind of like getting the inside scoop from your pregnant best friend who will tell you all the shit no one else will about what pregnancy is really like. It's a lot of fun and actually really informative. So check it out. As always, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show possible. I've linked all our discounts and everything else you could want from this episode in our show notes. So make sure to check that out. And finally, I want to thank you for tuning in and supporting this show. There's a lot of ways you could be spending your time right now. So I really do appreciate you spending it with me. And with that, I hope you guys have an awesome week and I will see you next Tuesday. 